Good afternoon, brethren. This afternoon we continue with our series on the person of Jesus Christ. Just how important is it to proclaim the person of Jesus Christ? Well, let's see. It is written that neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby which we must be saved. Whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Getting you in the fold is one thing, and keeping you in the fold is quite another thing. Being saved involves more than just having your sin removed. It involves growing in your understanding and in your comprehension of God. It involves growing in your comprehension of his purpose, of his will, of his, it's being, it involves being entirely set apart for God's use and participating in salvation according to the measure that you have been given. It requires that your belief in God be maintained so that you will keep the faith and not doubt. Salvation is calculated to do all of these things while you're living in a world of opposition and dealing with an enemy that is seeking daily to overthrow your faith. Therefore, salvation requires power, power to bring you into the fold and power to keep you into the fold. So what if we get up in the pulpit and we emphasize ourselves? What if we emphasize our lives and what God can do for us and our dreams and our will? What if we get up here and emphasize the community or the poor or even the work that God's given us to do? What if that becomes the emphasis? What if after we preach, the people are left with the idea that somehow the pinnacle of Christian living is to attend a church somewhere once a week, read a devotional every now and then, try to be a good person, to say your prayers at night, maybe donate some canned goods, So that somehow you can have a better life on the earth and get that ticket in the heaven, brethren. There are countless people who believe that that's what the emphasis of Christian living is today. God forbid. It's not about making a boast of being in a proper denomination or having an official position or speaking a few words in an official creed. Or repeating like a repeat after me mechanical lifeless prayer. If that's the case, we've solely missed the mark. Salvation is none of those things. There's no power in any of those things. None of these persuasions could be held, could be possibly held by the mainstream Christianity today if the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached. Your salvation takes power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is God-centered. It's purposed in the person of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the importance of preaching the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the express image of the Father. When Christ is preached, the Father is known. When the Father is known, His will is understood. His purpose is understood. When Christ is known, salvation begins to be seen for what it is. A great work of God, not just a simplistic matter. Just consider that God created the heavens and the earth in six days simply by speaking. 
But it has taken thousands of years for God to save man. And it took more than him just speaking a word from heaven. A people had to be prepared. A law had to be given. Prophets had to be sent to prepare the way. The word had to be made flesh and dwell among the people. He had to learn obedience. He had to suffer being tempted. He had to choose his disciples. He had to go about doing good. He had to lay down his life. He had to take it up again. He had to announce liberty to the captives and rise from the dead and ascend to heaven with his blood and sit down at the right hand of God and intercede for the transgressors and mediate the new covenant and send the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of things had to happen. It's not just a simplistic thing. The government had to be put upon his shoulders. He, he had to have all things committed to him by the Father. He had to be highly exalted above all principality and power and dominion, both in heaven and in earth. Had to happen. He has to lead and guide and counsel and direct and protect us and give us grace to help in the time of need so that we can fight the good fight of faith. He had to do this. He had to teach our hands to war as the captain of our salvation. It's not as simplistic of a matter as many people are portraying today. You see, when Christ is preached and he's considered, the hearts of the people who have a love of the truth, they burn. As the two on the road to Emmaus said, didn't our hearts burn as he spoke with us on the way? See, when you think about Jesus, that's not not intellectually thinking about Jesus. When you think about Jesus, it's like like Mary did when you when she pondered these things in her heart. See, it's it's a it's a heart kind of a thinking. It's God's appointed means of saving you. You see, when Jesus gets inside your heart, like the way a piece of bread gets inside your stomach, it's this isn't an automatic thing. Someone has to prepare the meal. You have to extend yourself to eat it. You have to put it to your mouth. When you do it, it nourishes your inner man. There's a nourishment that happens. If you have an inner man, some people don't have an inner man. If you have an inner man, there's a nourishing that happens. Salvation is doing this very thing. It's taking God's desires God's wants, God's affections, God's plans, God's purposes, God's determinations, and it's making them yours. That's what God's doing in salvation. And I know that was a very lengthy introduction to our text, but these things need to be said in the day that we're living in. And it does set the tone for the importance of considering our spiritual meal for today. When it comes, this comes to us today. Through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6. I want to focus on the last part of that. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Today I want to consider Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Now what are we talking about when we talk about peace? What is peace? As with any word, I could go to the dictionary and look it up, but I'm finding more and more that the most profitable thing to ask is, what saith the scriptures? The word peace is used 420 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And that English word peace, it actually came into use around the year 1300 from a transliteration of the Hebrew word shalom. 
Now, the Hebrew word shalom comes from a Hebrew word meaning to be complete and whole. And although peace is the normal translation, it's really kind of an incomplete one. The word, the English word peace kind of fails to encapsulate the Hebrew word shalom. In other words, it has, it's such a large containing word. This word shalom is such a large capacity word that it's, it's used in addition to peace, including justice and good health and safety, well-being, prosperity, equity, security, good fortune, friendliness. See, all these things encapsulate, encapsulate this, this idea of peace. When it comes to talking about peace, it shouldn't surprise us that the only language in the world that's centered entirely around deity has such a weighty word, such as shalom. We see examples of these various meanings in the scripture often. The King James translators translate shalom to be peace, but they also translate the very same word as wellness and safety. For example, when Ahimaaz came to David to tell of God's deliverance. It says he fell on his face. He told David, all is well. That, that, that word that he used there is the same word that they use in Isaiah 9, 6 here. And then when David responded and asked if, if Absalom was safe, he used that same word, same word for, for peace. So you can't, be really, you can't really be safe or in a state of well-being without peace. I'm talking about peace of God. Think of the hymn, It is well with my soul. See, that's actually an expression of being at peace with God. We're talking today about Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. Peace is something that is, is spoken of something that is given. Peace is given. It is spoken of something that is with a person. Peace is with a person. It is something that is possessed. Either you have peace or you don't have peace. In more than a few places, peace is associated with a covenant or an agreement from God. God spoke of Phineas. He said, I give unto him my covenant of peace. God spoke elsewhere in Isaiah. He said, my covenant of peace. Peace is consistently referred to as a way, the way of peace. Uh, in multiple places in the scripture. There are words of peace. Peace is like the antithesis of a hostile intent. It's the opposite of contention. People will say things like, peaceably I come. It is associated with a blessing. Peace be unto you. See, the presence of peace prevents an outbreak of hostility. Is the idea you want to see. It's also used frequently as an adjective in, in Scripture. For instance, there are words, and then there are peaceable words. There's a habitation, and then there's a peaceable habitation. There's a life, and then there's a quiet and peaceable life. See, it, it's used in that, in that manner. Fear is also associated with an absence of peace. When Joseph's brothers found money in their sacks, the man told them, peace be to you. Fear not. See, One's got one of God's promises to Israel was, I will give peace in the land and ye shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. 
See, the angel told Gibeon when the angel appeared, when, when, when Gibeon realized it was an angel standing before him, the angel said, peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. See, peace and fear not go together. See, these thoughts help, help us to kind of culture our minds to create a foundation to consider this word peace that's brought up. But these references to peace in the Old Covenant are only but a foreshadow of the peace that's in Jesus Christ. And peace is associated with a sacrifice. There was the peace offering mentioned 84 times in the scripture. Not only that, the peace offering had to be a spotless sacrifice. You couldn't offer anything with blemish and it'd be a peace offering. You see, every instance where sin was committed... Peace is what was necessary for God not to consume the people. You want to see that? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, this is Numbers chapter 25, verse 11, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, had turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy, Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. They had that the covenant of peace prevented the outbreak of the wrath of God. And there you have it, because of one man zealous. Zealousness who made atonement for the people. See, I'm laying a foundation for us to properly consider Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. When men sinned and hid from God because of it, there was no longer any agreement between God and man. See, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Since the first sin in the garden, man has been at enmity with God. Enmity is like the opposite of peace. Enmity is hostility. Mankind in his natural state is the enemy of God. His essential nature is at variance with a holy and a righteous God. See, God cannot tolerate for this reason. God cannot tolerate rebellion or tolerate iniquity perpetually. It actually says that he's angry with the wicked every day. Peace had to be made with God or he would have had to destroy all of mankind. Just consider the flood. Consider the flood. Noah and his family were saved and the entire world was wiped out. No peace unto the wicked. God has plainly declared what the situation is. He said, there is no peace, saith the Lord to the wicked. Isaiah 48, 22. And again, through the same prophet, he declared, there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. Isaiah 57, 21. And then he spoke again through the same prophet, the way of peace they know not. Isaiah 59, 8. The apostle reaffirmed these words in his letter to the Romans when he spoke of ungodly sinners and said, the way of peace they have not known. The person who is living in sin does not know peace and does not have peace 
and no peace will be given to them while they continue to walk in that way. The carnal mind is enmity with God. It's still enmity with God. It hasn't changed. Flesh hasn't changed. It's still hostile towards God as it ever was. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See? Not spiritual, no peace. It's declared that those who desire to make to be a friend of the world actually make themselves the enemy of God. That's still true today. You desire to be a friend of the world? No peace. Enmity with God. There is no peace to those who do not believe the Son of God. The scriptures say it this way, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Amen. See, that, that means no peace. That's what that means. It's like a cloud of doom that follows the person around wherever they go. And woe to the person who tells these people... To anything that would make them think that God has peace with them in that kind of a situation. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? And again, he spoke through another prophet. He said, my hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people. Neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. Because, even because they have seduced my people. People are doing this today. Saying peace when there was no peace. And one built up a wall. And lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. Say unto them which daub it with untempered mortar that it shall fall and there shall be an overflowing shower and ye, O great hailstone, shall fall and a stormy wind shall rend it. This is a very serious thing that's going on this very day. There are people who are telling unrepentant sinners that God has a wonderful plan for their life for good and not for harm. They're speaking peace to a people who have no peace. They take a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11 and take it out of context. It's like they're building a wall with inferior material. And one day the Lord's going to try it and it's going to fall. Yes, God says, see, they, they're, they're in, in so doing, they're putting like a temporary bandage on the issue. Peace, peace and safety. They're putting a temporary bandage on it. God says, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So you can't just say you have peace. You must actually obtain peace. You have to obtain it. Remember, the scriptures say, for when they shall say 
peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail with a woman upon a child, and they shall not escape. That's the truth. See, Jesus doesn't heal people slightly. Jesus heals people entirely. He really has made peace. He's the Prince of Peace, and he's really actually made peace with God. Jesus' peace is an everlasting peace. It's a true peace. See, men cannot make true peace. It's something that can't be manufactured, let alone peace with God. Jesus made peace with God. Making peace is not a small work. It requires divine power and authority. And I'm here to declare that Jesus Christ has that authority. Jesus Christ did the work. He made the peace with God by the sacrifice of himself. And that's the one that we're going to hear. That's the one that I want to hear. That's the one that you're going to have to follow. If you want peace with God, that's the one you're going to have to follow. You're going to have to follow the one that made peace. Jesus said to sum it up, too, that no one can follow him unless they forsake all of their own interests, unless they yield their entire self to following him, unless they take up their cross daily and bear the repercussions of following him. See, they can't follow him unless they do those things. You're going to have to do that if you want to follow Jesus. You see, on earth, he's the only one who ever calmed the storm with a word. He said, peace, be still. And the storm was calmed. And paralleling the peace today, he speaks that word still today in our hearts. He can say, peace be still, and he can calm the inner turmoil in your heart. He can command peace. He can say, peace be still. See, he is the ultimate remedy for the restlessness, for the care of the world, and for the restless soul. See, Jesus can speak peace. He's the prince of peace. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off. See, we're we're in in enemies through wicked works. We're afar off. We're made nigh by the blood of Christ. See, peace peace involves a nearness, involves a fellowship. He is our peace. He is our peace, which hath, which hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. See, Jesus abolished the enmity. His peace abolished the enmity. Man and God are no longer at variance with one another in Christ Jesus. He made peace so that he might reconcile both unto God and one by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But why Prince? Why Prince of Peace? I thought about this. Why not King of Peace? See, a prince is someone who rules in the interest of another. Jesus is ruling right now at the right hand of God. He's always doing his will and administering peace. 
You see, the the peace that Jesus made through the blood of the cross was actually more for God than it was for us. God had to be at peace with man. It had he had to happen. Man would have been destroyed. God is long suffering, but he is also righteous. See, his soul, God's soul cannot strive with man forever. So he had to make Christ's soul an offering for sin. Christ was made a curse. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. See, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. He, he was the propitiation for, for the sins of the world. The, the propitiation is the, the appeasement of the wrath of one party. See, God's wrath had to be appeased. Amen. See, Jesus made peace with God. It's now actually right for God to be at peace with men. It's right. It's, it's right for God to be at peace with men. It's right for God and men to be reconciled. The enmity is slain and it was right for it to be slain. The psalmist's words are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. See, it's right for God to be at peace with you now because of Jesus Christ. See, peace, peace had to be established in order for us to be able to interact and to receive from God and to be profitable with God. There would be no fellowship without peace. See, an environment must be that of peace in order for advancement to take place, too. I wanted to consider this. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. It's also called the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. See, the, the wisdom that comes from above... It's gentle and peaceable. See? Peace. In other words, anything that interferes with your peace from God, like get rid of it. You're not going to grow. If there's no peace, you cannot grow where there's an environment of no peace. Then I'm thankful that Jesus is able to command peace. Jesus is able to give his blessing of peace on this assembly so that we can advance. If all things in the assembly are to be done on edification, it's no wonder we are exhorted to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. To be diligent that you might be found of him in peace, to be at peace among yourselves, to follow peace with all men, to seek peace and ensue it. See, we do this by focusing not on peace we do this by focusing on jesus christ the prince of peace see peace it's the bond this is a bond of peace it's like a spiritual glue so it's the unity of spirit and the bond of peace where there is no peace there's you're you'd be sure that satan's gonna find a way in there'll be contention there'll be confusion See, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Consider that practically every single letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, 
He started it off with a blessing of grace and peace from God the Father. Look it up. Every single epistle within the first few verses, grace and peace be to you. In the New Testament scriptures, the peace of God begins to unfold. Jesus told his disciples, he said, peace I leave with you. He said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. See, that, that, that word had never been stated like that before. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See, you can do that because Jesus has left his peace with you. He's given his peace unto you. You can do that. The one who can command peace is allowed to tell you, let not your heart be troubled. And you're well able to do that. If you have a care, cast it upon the Prince of Peace. Just just give it to him. He cares for you. The peace of God, it can guard your heart. There's a guarding aspect to this peace. You can be in the middle of a prison and your faith not fail if this peace of God is ruling in your heart. The peace of God actually guards your heart. He said... Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Mm -hmm. shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. See, the peace of God. He said, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. See, Jesus' peace is a perfect peace. And he keeps those in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him. See, he keeps the feet of his saints that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's... He's able to do that. Was, did you ever find that there was a time when you had no peace? Was your mind stayed on, on the Prince of Peace? Was your mind stayed? I found that every time my mind has been stayed on Christ, that he's kept me in perfect peace. I can testify that. The psalmist wrote from the heart, Great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. See, it's a, it's, it, 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 there's this protecting aspect to this peace is what I want to see. In this world, we're going to have opposition. Jesus plainly told us, he said, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, this world will never be a peaceful place. This is a present evil world. There's no peace here, as in... It's the, until, heavens, until the heavens and the earth pass away and a new heavens and the earth come, wherein only dwells righteousness, there will be constant agitation between the godly and the ungodly here on the on the earth and you could experience it physically but inwardly you can be at peace 
You can be in a, you can find yourself in a jail cell and still be at peace in your heart. Mm-hmm. As the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ is doing a righteous work, something that will forever produce an insurance and an inner quietness for the people of God. Isaiah prophesied, he said, and the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So it's an everlasting inward peace. And one day this peace will be brought to its ultimate fruition. The devil will be cast into the lake of fire along with his angels and all of his servants. And we shall be united with our God and we shall go out no more. We will put down our armor. We won't be in conflict or combat anymore. It will be an everlasting peace like nothing we've ever experienced. Paul said, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That's a, I hope that you enjoyed those considerations. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Thank you, brother. Our brother David has our comments.